the Nerdbook Review, and today we are going to have an author interview, one Mr. C.T. Phipps. I'm going to go ahead and do the usual spiel where I tell you all the places that I can be reached, and I encourage you to reach me. You can reach us at nerdbookreview at gmail.com, on Facebook with our Facebook page, Nerdbook Review, and on Twitter at Nerdbook Review. You can also reach me on Goodreads, where you can see some of my other reviews, although they are admittedly mostly lately reviews from that I will have on the podcast. But I will still follow you as a friend if you'd like to add me on there. Also, if you would be so kind as to leave us a rating and a review on iTunes, that would be wonderful. As I always say, it helps to get our podcast out there, and hopefully we'll be able to continue this on for a long period of time. Thank you all very much, and let's get to the interview. The Nerdbook Review is pleased to welcome author C.T. Phipps on the podcast today. Charles is the author of Agent G, Cthulhu Armageddon, Esoterrorism, Lucifer Star, Straight Outta Fankton, The Supervillainy Saga, Wraith Knight, and your newest, I Was a Teenage Weirdeer which I will have to admit surprised me in the best way possible. Thank you for coming out of the pod today, and how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Thank you for uh, listing the whole uh, of my bibliography there. I'd love to talk about any of them, and I'm glad you've enjoyed the books you've read. I have. I've read three different uh, ones so far, and we actually have a full book review coming out. This podcast will air right after that. You'll have your The Supervillainy Saga review out. Well, thank you for slipping me in. You bet. So could you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself? There was a huge biography there. So what were some of your writing influences? What got you into writing and what do you enjoy doing? Well, there's nothing I like more than talking about myself. I'll try and keep it short. Uh, Basically, I was a, a researcher at Marshall University for a while and decided I, I should definitely give writing a shot. And I was helped helped by a number of people along the way who directed me from one group to another, and I eventually figured out what was right and what was wrong and what I could bring to my writing and found the publishers who were willing to help me with a few bumps along the way. So how did you get into being a, uh, a researcher at Marshall then? Well, it's just it was my original plan uh, to not quit my day job by uh, working as a, a historian, but really the writing is where I'm at. Now I do that full time. Well, that's wonderful. So did you go to college to be a historian then? Yes, I did. I have a master's in history, which, uh, uh, as I am a writer now, will buy me a bag of chips with a quarter. You know, I understand. I have degrees in history and religious studies, and I now have dump trucks. So not the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> not the most useful uh, t- tools no. there. But I, I definitely still love my history, though. So well, At least it's better than a liberal arts degree. Yes, yes. Not just a straight one, huh? <laughs> so what got uh, you into the writing then? Did, is it through already doing history stuff? or? Well, I think every writer on some level was always a, hist- a storyteller and had the tales in their minds that they needed to let out. It was just the level of actually being able to do it well. As uh, someone said said a long time ago in one of my creative writing classes, uh, everyone can sing, but very few can do it well. <laughs> yeah, the trick to writing is not the ability to conceive of a story. It's to uh, relay it to the people that you're, read- you're writing it for. 
Yeah, I think that's my where my issue comes in. I, I have all kinds of stories in my head, but I just don't know that I would be solidly getting those out there. I see you a lot in the, the Grimdark Facebook group, and I noticed that you have a blog as well, and you do a lot of reviews. How did that come about? Well, it was when I first started writing that I decided I needed to get something to record my thoughts and ideas about what I was doing to progress myself as a writer and was thinking, okay, social media, I'm sure there would be like three or four people that would be interested in hearing this story as I grow. (laughs) But instead, uh, after just a few write-ups of what I was doing, I realized, you know, I would rather do just review the books and movies and television I like. And that built an audience that actually became interested in my books as a result. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, my first uh, blog, which is still going, is the United Federation of Charles, which started for reviewing Star Trek things, then went out to everything geeky. And uh, then there's the C.T. Phipps author page, which is just strictly my writing and what's coming out. And apparently some people like hearing about that, too. (laughs) Yeah, and I've actually enjoyed looking at your reviews on the United Federation of Charles. Well, uh, it covers a broad enough spectrum of subjects that you're eventually bound to find something you're entertained by. (laughs) Yeah. So the first book I read from you was Cthulhu Rising. First, I want to ask, what was the first book you wrote then, if if your blog and and that writing helped come through this? Well, uh, I think it was Cthulhu Armageddon rather than Cthulhu Rising, but it's weird because that was the title at one point. (laughs) Oh, okay. I don't know where I got the... Our Psychic Entanglement, yes. (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, well, Cthulhu Ar- Armageddon is interesting because that actually was uh, my my first book, but it was like third or fourth published because I created that book when I decided to sit down and write a horror novel for Permuted Press, which was back then still a very respected independent apocalypse and zombie uh, independent publisher. Oh, okay. For anyone out there, I would definitely say that the way I would describe Cthulhu Rising as is a or a Fallout uh, fever dream. Oh. <laughs> Well, that was uh, that was definitely an influence, and I mentioned that in my opening uh, comments of the book. Uh, it Ma- Cthulhu and Mad Max was just an idea that occurred to me in an actual dream, and I'm like, I have to do this, and I was a huge Fallout fan, so that's there too. Uh, but really, it was from the question, you know, we always are seeing uh, in these Lovecraft fictions, these 1920s or modern-day investigators just narrowly preventing Cthulhu from destroying the world. And I was like, well, it strikes me that doesn't sell Cthulhu very well, so why not simply jump to after he's destroyed everything? <laughs> yeah, and just about every nightmare, uh, elder god, Lovecraftian villain that you could have is in your novel. Oh, yes. Uh, it's a... H.P. Lovecraft, greatest hits kind of thing there. Uh, though I would argue that it's also is inspired by Stephen King and the Dark Tower as much as anything else there. And Stephen King himself drew from Lovecraft's writing, so it's kind of a weird circle. Oh, okay. Cthulhu Armageddon uh, was a book I actually wrote six times because uh, I had the story in my head, but my skills at writing it weren't quite uh, up to the task with the first draft. And yet the story just dug itself in there and would not uh, let me drop it. So I rewrote it, and I rewrote it, and I rewrote it until it was finally ready. Yeah, and I've never done that with anything else. <laughs> oh, really? So you're not one of those authors who just rewrites everything over and over again? No, no, no apparently I am for this one series. It's just <laughs> I, the chaos of uh, a post-apocalypse Western with Cthulhu and Fallout influences and 
Mad Max, and, and all the various nightmarish, feverish elements. Uh, that took a while to get to paper. How are you so prolific? I mean, I, I mean, it probably took me thirty seconds to read off all of the the uh, the books that you've the the series that you've had. That's not just the books; that's the series. Oh well, uh, there's a thing about that. Uh, it, I appear more prolific than I am because uh, there's a long story that I started about five or six years ago, maybe even longer. And I got in some situations with publishers who were in the middle of transitions that, for the lack of better terms, <laughs> I wasn't actually getting anything out despite being contracted. And I just kept writing all the entire time. Oh, and, I see. Uh, yeah, so three years into it, I finally got something published. So there was a little bit of a pile that was ready to come out. I got you. Oh, yes. Well, uh, there is actually something to be said also for the fact I am kind of prolific. The benefit of not having a day job. I struck it, uh, I wouldn't say big, but certainly successful with the rules of supervillainy, which was for a very brief period of time a best-selling novel. And that gave me the uh, funds to uh, work entirely as a writer. And when you are a pro- a uh, full-time writer, you do have the time to just uh, churn them out uh, like the factory you are. Yeah, that's kind of a cool story, right? It was with Audible, right? With the rules of Spooky oh, yeah. Tony? Oh, yes. If I, if I, I don't actually need to uh, have any uh, sales from my physical books because apparently everyone likes the audiobooks for better. Uh, the Super Villainy Saga sells more than all of my other books combined. It's, uh, it was at the right place at the right time, and uh, it still sells well, and I'm continuing it on. Yeah, I... I, I... I have to say that the rules of supervillainy. When we did our our review, uh, my just a I guess a spoiler since this will come out before the actual review. We both liked it, my reviewer and I, uh, Chris. And I think his comment was is that if you're the kind of person who can't enjoy the rules of supervillainy, then you're probably not the kind of person that I want to hang out with. I think that's what his <laughs> comment was. Well, that is a great compliment right there. It's for a short novel so far, and the fifth one will hopefully be out this winter. And then once, are you going to go for a sixth? I think I read somewhere on your blog that, that then you'll put them into like a one through three and a four through six. Oh, that's my uh, current plan there. The whole idea behind the rules of Supervillain was while I was churning uh, through uh, Cthulhu Armageddon, rewriting it, rewriting it, trying to get the great novel and also uh, later esotericism with... Uh, the rules of Superman, I was just like, why don't I just write something that's fun and just things I like and uh, see if anyone else wants to read it. And uh, it turned out to be uh, the idea of a man who isn't quite evil enough to be a supervillain in a super uh, villain and hero-filled world. And the story just sort of wrote itself and everyone had fun with it. With all the deep and serious novels uh, out there, it's nice to have something that's just pure mind candy. Oh, yeah. I really love Gary and that uh, especially his wife wants to be good and he, he's not really a, a truly a bad guy, but I love how he'll he'll save you, but then he's going to take his that ransom money or he's going to save the bank of people from being killed by the crazy clown, but then he's also going to rob them as well. Yes, I, I in, D, in old D&D terms, I think Gary uh, verges in the nebulous between neutral and chaotic neutral. <laughs> Just not quite enough to be evil there, but he's uh, certainly uh, selfish enough to uh, take your wallet while you're, if he saves you. <laughs> yeah, and actually I think that my reviewer, that was his, 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 another one of his comments. That, yeah, I would call him a chaotic neutral as a character. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's uh, just a, a fun, easy read. And you know, one thing that he, he mentioned is he's like, yeah, I have all um, the first three. And he said, he's like, I think what I'm going to do is read one of these in between each of my like grimdark or, or really uh, serious crime novels. 
and just have a, a fun palate cleanser in between each of them. Well, that's kind of hilarious because I write a Gary book in between writing my grimdark novels. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? I, I my uh, uh, Chris, my one of my co-hosts, he apparently he has this has you down. Well, apparently he does. Yes. Uh, it's also there's another funny story there. Uh, when I created uh, Gary, I. It, just to tell you how long ago it was when I was first started writing, uh, yeah, I was I was trying to think of uh, two uh, sidekicks to give him, and I was like, I'll base them off two obscure characters that are never going to make any uh, real mainstream attention because they're for serious hardcore nerds, and they were Harley Quinn and Bane. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, well, C- that's Cindy. And, yeah, 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 that didn't... Uh, yeah, well, that was... Uh, Cindy has the whole Harley Quinn, in this case, Red Riding Hood vibe, and Diablo Man was sort of based on the intelligent brute uh, kind of archetype that was the basis of Bane there. And that was before, obviously, Harley exploded and uh, the Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and of course, uh, he's the guy that gives the actual, there's a real list of, the a real list of rules of supervillainy. And I thought that it, something that that really, I really liked was the, the explanation of why the supervillains always create such awful traps. Oh, yes. Uh, that was the, the idea being that uh, if you are a supervillain that doesn't have a, a death wish, uh, it, it's best to just leave superheroes in peril rather than kill them. As once you kill a su- superhero, everyone is going to bring the hammer down on you. Yeah, it's it. Yeah, it's like being a cop, except the, the people who are going to uh, try and put you down uh, as a cop killer are uh, able to punch worlds. <laughs> yeah so let's talk then about lucifer star i guess real quick is one i haven't read but can you describe what lucifer star is just a little bit well there's a very easy way of doing it but it, but my publisher was always like you, you really shouldn't describe it that way but i'm like it, it's just let's just be honest there it, it came to me after the i i watched the force awakens and it's like yeah that's not where i would really wanted to have gone in this case i had the idea of so what happens to all the Imperials and the Tie pilots and the stormtroopers, and after the they discover, wait, we were the bad guys the entire time, and enter a galaxy that just reviles them for being the loyal soldiers of the evil empire. The idea quickly generated into its own little self as I uh, started examining the bare bones of things like space operas and uh, the ideas we have behind them, and just decided to do a dark, gritty uh, war picture in space. Well, actually, the aftermath of a war picture. The, the main character, Cassius, is a guy who thought he had everything figured out as the big knight in space who uh, was fighting for his country. And then after uh, they're defeated, discovers that they were a ruthless, horrible dictatorship. <laughs> I drew as much from the Game of Thrones and Dune as I did from Star Wars. And it really gelled into a, a very personal story about what you deal with when not only did you lose the war and deserve to lose the war, but... You, you have done things that have uh, effectively ruined yourself in your own eyes as a person. In this case, Cash has led many friends and loved ones into battle and got them all killed, uh, thinking he was doing the right thing and doesn't ha- even have that to comfort himself. So, yeah, so kind of like a darker version of Firefly, even then, in a way. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, Fire. I hadn't been thinking about Malcolm Reynolds in uh, that area because, because Cassius was a bit more of the, uh, uh, the upper crust that that Mal would punch in the face, but <laughs> but def- but definitely they share the same DNA, be it Han Solo or uh, the Red Baron. Okay, yeah. And the one thing with Firefly I've always thought of is is that once you get past like the 
the general like the evilness of the like their attempts at mind control and stuff all of their planets were far safer to live on if you're willing to give up a little bit of freedom well that's that's the uh, appeal of firefly at least in uh, as they developed it there i don't think they ever quite managed it in the show or movie because they just kept hammering down on how bad the alliance was with him personally with river and all that but uh definitely in my books i went for the idea that uh the two sides both had very dark qualities and while uh, the side of my protagonist was objectively the worst uh the other the what happens to his country after it's occupied and and, and annexed by the systems commonwealth does not work well okay that's lucifer star and now we've talked about our three of your series, but we still have plenty more to go. I really want to get into uh, the Teenage Were Deer. Oh, yeah. Because I, that, well, first off, it's your newest. And then when you sent me that, I have to admit, I was a little reticent to start reading it because I thought, well, this is going to be like a YA type novel where you have a character who is. A, turns into a were deer. Clearly, a were deer can't be very cool. I mean, a werewolf or a werebear that you have described, those sound way cooler. But then it turned out to be something, it's so much more than I was expecting. Well, that's the interesting thing there. And I'm not sure that the uh, cover, which uh, shows uh, Jane Doe as the adorable teen, Winona, young Winona writer that she looks like uh, with her deer, uh, is going to attract the audience that it's definitely written for. But on the other hand, that's the title and the premise is designed around subverting expectation. I, I think the closest thing you could uh, think of is this is very much in the vein of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which itself is the ridiculous title that, you know, obviously really got into what the heart of the story was. What I came up with for I Was a Teenage Wear Deer was thinking about, well, what if we created this hor- this horror movie world where all the various slasher films and vampires and monsters and horror films take place there and you gave the protagonist uh, the least threatening powers whatsoever <laughs> the idea of being a were deer was okay what's the least threatening but still plausible thing someone might be able to turn into yeah but the were deer though you since you give them like kind of the shaman role within the the were clans or tribes it, i thought though that it made them still a, a relevant force that, I mean, sure, they're not going to tear you up in the same way that the were deer or werewolves or were bear would, but they still had their own power because of the shaman role. Well, the, the joke is, of course, that, you know, stags are entirely appropriate animals and can bore the hell out of you. But, you know, you don't think that about the uh, deer. <laughs> I drew a heavy inspiration from the from quite a few werewolf and shapeshifter universes that i've read about over the years white wolves werewolves the patricia briggs novels and so but i basically to create a mythology behind each of the shapeshifter types there werewolves are obviously the vicious warriors and leaders and where rare ravens are messengers and and tricksters and well what would a were deer be in this case well they're the casters they're the the people who work the magic and uh handle the, the secret sacred rites and so on Hey, I was a, I played a druid in World of Warcraft, and I totally uh, saw the antler thing in my mind. I saw the the Buffy the Vampire Slayer in the interactions between, uh, especially uh, Jane Doe and her best friend, and you kind of got the. the... I, I just I, I thought about okay, I can't name her Jane Doe, but I really couldn't name her anything else, could I? No, no, but but I think even though like reading that that it, her name was Jane Doe was all part of what surprised me and 
and and made me think it was going to be more sticky or you know zany than it turned out to be. I, I think uh, someone pointed out the fact that they thought this was going to be a a nonstop yuck a fest of puns, and it's more closer to a Twin Peaks with Jane just being frustrated as hell that uh, it's so hard to take her seriously. I also saw a little bit of like Buffy the Vampire Slayer meet, uh, meets Supernatural. The, I mean, the puns are still there. Don't get me wrong. I mean, the as you they're put just it, a source of constant annoyance for Jane. <laughs> yes, because she can't control the puns. <laughs> Yes, her, her family uh, thinks it's uh, delightful, but uh, she hates them. <laughs> yes. So how how far do you plan on going with this? And is it? And am I right that it's in the same world as the Straight Out of Fankton? Yes, it is actually. I uh, since I already wrote a uh, another essential deconstruction of the horror supernatural world, was like, why don't I just put them in the same world? Okay. In Straight Out of Fankton's case, there. Uh, Peter Stone is a, a poor black vampire wondering uh, why he's not getting the mansions and gawking fangirls that every other vampire seems to. <laughs> yeah, and I haven't yeah. read that either, but I think I'm going to have to get into that if it's got the same kind of tone as the as the Teenage Weirdeer. Yes, well, Teenage Weirdeer is a slightly more serious version of the supervillain saga. Just you know, It's just for the world of the supernatural and urban fantasy versus superheroes. One thing I like, too, is that there in most of the states, the they can the the were creatures can be killed with the varmint laws. And, oh yeah, yeah, and then uh, and of course we, there's the vampires that that run New Detroit. So hey, that it finally got refixed. Yeah, it was a well. That's a definite uh, thing about the idea of a world which is open about the supernatural. You you agree, obviously it's not a one to one thing uh, thing with real life minorities or not even close, but. Uh, the idea that you can be physically powerful but socially pariahs. You have gay characters, you have minority characters, you have people who, even though, like you said, like like your vampire, he's young and he doesn't have a like a powerful patron. So even though he is a vampire, he still has his struggles just because of this the way the world operates. Oh yeah. Uh, when I was creating the rules for the entirety of the Unmasked World, which is not a series title, but just what I refer to as the shared universe, I came up with the ideas. In uh, this, this is going to be a world where shit rolls down. Whether the humans are uh, at are uh, trying to feel better about themselves by uh, attacking the supernatural, or the powerful supernaturals are attacking the weaker ones, and the weaker ones are attacking reg- uh, individual humans, which just creates a vicious cycle. Yeah, and I think that, that that was an element that, for me, probably added another, like, half a star or so, I, not, not to get, you know, into that, but just that it, was, it wasn't preachy in any way, but it added a little extra gravity, or um, I guess that's not, I'm, I'm struggling to think of the right word, but just an extra something that made the novels more than just a just funny romp, you know, added a little bit of gravity to the situation, I guess, is, I don't know if I'm using, saying the right word here, but that's just kind of uh, what I was thinking. When I'm creating uh, characters there, I, I benefited from the fact a lot of uh, people have written me and said, like, I'm so glad you can include gay characters or uh, or uh, black or white or, uh, well, not white, but uh, Hispanic or and Indian, and I'm like, well, I just it's not a case of uh, me going out of my way there. It's just like, why not? I mean, the world is diverse and memorable in itself, and it just becomes uh, realistic and uh, the way it is in real life well, when you include that. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not, and just for anyone out there, I'm, you're not writing them and, and 
like hitting someone over the head with it. You're just, you have a a diverse cast of characters. Her best friend being gay isn't her defining characteristic by any means in this story. It's definitely a a point of uh, that. When I was uh, creating Emma as the best friend, and I'm just thinking about, well, how do I flesh her out? and What elements uh, inform her personality? I'm like thinking, well, okay, if I make her gay and and then uh, elements uh, derived from that and how she feels about being uh, not only a werewolf and a, ri- a rich girl, uh, but also being gay in a small town. And, you know, all these elements uh, become part, what I would think of as the cooking school of writing. Every little element uh, informs every other element to form the ultimate result. So, and you need lots of ingredients because if you just make uh, a character with who's the funny white guy, you know, I mean, that's that's fine. I'm plenty of finishes that is. You uh, run the risk of not creating as memorable and personal a character as you might if he has the tragic backstory or a chronic addiction to Pokemon or whatever. <laughs> yeah, there, there's no question that you fleshed out your characters, especially, uh, I don't know, there's probably a good solid eight to ten main characters in this first book in this cast, and every one of them gets their backstory and, and has little twists and turns that you didn't expect. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I definitely did draw from Supernatural. I even make fun of Jane saying, like, so you two uh, wandered around America hunting vampires at one point. Yeah, and they're like, yeah. It's like, did you listen to metal the entire time? <laughs> listen to Impala. <laughs> yeah, as you're, as you're rolling around. Do you have any of your other series? I haven't read any of your other series, but do you have anything uh, that's coming out here anytime soon that is in any of these worlds? Well, I should mention that I Was a Teenage Weird Year sequel is already out because I wrote them back to back. Oh, man. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You, you, you can pick up the second one right now if you want. It's called An American Weird Year in Michigan. Okay. And I would, I would recommend picking it up. Uh, like I said, I just, I don't, I don't know if, if it was a combination of the, I, I think the cover is really what did. I really just expected you to have someone who every, Full moon um, turned into a were deer without, you know, without any sort of ability to control it, and then had to avoid getting hit by a minivan as they rolled <laughs> around the highway. Yeah, uh, she, she's a bit younger than she actually is in the book on the cover there. As people like to look, looks things like she looks fifteen or so, but when she's in nineteen, and I was like, um, it, it's a perfectly beautiful cover. I wasn't going to ask him to rewrite it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you can read the second one in that series, a teenage were deer in Michigan. Yeah, every uh, every uh, title of the book is going to be a parody of a werewolf movie. <laughs> All right, and then the supervillainy saga is coming out in the spring. A tournament of supervillainy is coming out, actually, hopefully this winter, which is uh, which is a crossover book, which is the idea that there's this big crisis in the in the universe uh, it's a parody of those kind of uh, stories and i'm just going to actually draw characters from my other books oh okay all right yeah. so you, i mean hey they're your novels you can do it right oh yeah well I, and i'm totally not ripping off marion g harman doing the exact same thing <laughs> okay. He did the the Cape books, and uh, he uh, wrote a book where he got a bunch of other superhero uh, characters to do their own little crisis. And I really recommend uh, those books as well, just to plug him. Okay. And, and I'm not stealing from you. I'm just it just it was a, a parallel development, honest. <laughs> and you have mentioned your publisher a couple times now, and your publisher is Crossroads Press, and they're a little uh, bit different than a traditional publisher, correct? Well, uh, Crossroads uh, Press is one of my uh, two publishers. Uh, okay. They're but uh, Crossroads, Amber Cove is the other publisher, and that's Jim Bernheimer. 
uh, private press, so to speak, and that does the the uh, supervillainy saga, and uh, also it is the publisher of pretty much mostly humorous uh, superhero books, and you may know them from doing the Confessions of a D-List Supervillain books. Oh, okay, and I actually have, I've, I think I've read two of those, but it's been a little while now. They're, they're a little bit older, right? Like 10 years or so from the start? Well, uh, well actually, they're the, the kind of thing is me and Jim met in the writing group as we were both, as we had this conversation. It's like, so what are you writing? I'm writing a superhero a book except from the perspective of a villain, and it's really funny. And then I said, huh, that's exactly what I'm writing. <laughs> that's quite the coincidence huh yes well i got caught in the contract that kept me uh from publishing any for, for three years uh but and jim uh, went on to uh no small success uh, so he was like so do you want me to publish your book and i'm like yes get it out there <laughs> that broke the spell crossroad press that is a that is an interesting story there it's published by david it's owned and operated by david neal wilson who if you enter his name you'll see him having done lots and lots of uh genre fiction uh from everything from star trek to stargate to white wolf's old uh world of darkness books and uh he he decided that uh he really did not uh, like working uh that uh, under those conditions and to, uh, to contact authors to try and get out of the mainstream system and share the profits more evenly i i like him to say he created the image comics of independent publishing Oh, okay. Oh, okay. And, and that's who yeah, I was, I think I read about on was Crossroads Press as, when I was, um, that he was was an author. Okay. So, yeah, it's worked out well for him, and uh, many authors uh, love uh, his stuff, and I definitely enjoy uh, working for him. And no you complaints. Just, and you just announced that, um, who is it again that's going to be doing your audiobook for this new one? That would be Ariel Delis. I'm sorry, I'm, pr- I'm pronouncing her last name horribly, and uh, <laughs> it's French. And uh, she's well, she uh, she does does this beautiful, uh, snarky yet pleasing to hear voice that I think will do wonders for uh, the series. And uh, they, and the rest of the year, there's a tournament of a super villainy, a couple of re-releases actually, uh, because I had my Esoterism and Wraith Knight were the two were two books that the rights were held up for a couple of years actually. And uh, they're getting re-released uh, by Crossroad Press and Amber Cove, and they're uh, they're they're definitely uh, books I will uh, recommend. I can talk about them if you want. And finally, I'll be getting the sequel to Lucifer Star and Lucifer's Nebula. Okay, and then I I, so, I, I plan uh, on getting to Lucifer Star at some point here for sure. Oh, definitely. I think you'll like it. It is uh, it is definitely grim, dark space opera, despite how contradictory that's supposed to be. <laughs> yes, I, there has been a little bit of uh, a talk about that, hasn't there, on the Facebook forums? Oh yes. Well, it's it's a benefit there that uh, I got on the ground floor. As long as people forget Warhammer 40k exists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what's funny though is is that for as into this this stuff as I am, I've never read any of the books or played any of the games. I don't know how that has been the case, but. Well, it it's uh, it was its own little world there. Uh, the books were sold to the fans, and uh, the uh, and the fans de- uh, devour them. But they aren't available on Amazon.com or uh, ebooks forms, ex- so it's always been harder to get to them than uh, you would normally think. I recommend some of the uh, series, and definitely the I could name a couple of authors, but. It's uh, the real big contribution, I think, of Warhammer uh, 40k was it gave us the word grimdark. Okay, I was unaware of that. Oh yes, uh, one of the, in in every uh, Warhammer 40k book, there's a opening crawl like Star Wars, and one of the lines is in the grim darkness of the far future. 
there is only war. <laughs> that was begging for parody, and they created the word grimdark as a result. It's like, so you know this is extreme. <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, though, it's it's so funny because I, I guess, I, even if it is a little, you know, cheesier thing, I, I really do gravitate towards books, and if, and if an author is willing to call them their series grimdark, then it's going to make me at least give it a chance. I'm definitely among the authors who identifies uh, Cthulhu Armageddon and uh, Lucifer Star as my grimdark series, and to a lesser extent, the Wraith Knight books. I, I just read a just a quick little thing on the Wraith Knights, but that was unfortunately a couple weeks ago now. So what are they about then? Well, I, I had the same uh, idea about deconstructing genres uh, for fantasy, but that's a road very well-traveled, so I had to, to ponder on that one for a little while. And, I, and eventually I was like, you know what would be uh, what hasn't been done to death? Tolkien. <laughs> Sarcastic <laughs> no, there. No, yeah, absolutely like, not. Yeah, well, it was like, uh, we've, we've seen things plenty from the uh, perspective of the orcs uh, over the years, and we've seen things from the view of, well, what if the heroes were actually bad guys? And I was like, you know what would be interesting? It's just I've always uh, thought about uh, what the perspective of the uh, the ring race were, and it's like these are these uh, guys that have literally no characterization other than the fact they were once heroes before they were turned into uh, cloaked minions of Sauron. And I'm like, well, you know, obviously the, uh, it went in its own direction eventually, but I had the idea. Well, when Sauron dies, what if the, the ring race instead of just vanishing into the ether? Uh, regained their free will, or in this case, at least one did. And with Wraith Knight, I had the idea that uh, Jacob River's son was uh, about 400 years before the start of the uh, book, uh, once a great he- epic hero in a great epic Beowulf sort of world, and uh, he went to uh, fight the Dark Lord and lost badly. <laughs> Got himself reanimated as a monster and uh, spent the next, uh, next couple of centuries uh, just serving as his mindless minion until, poof, he's back uh, to his old self and now is a person with all the uh, the dark powers of the, being a dark lord, but the human morality he had. But it was a flawed, uh, twisted uh, person who had many vulnerabilities that led him to temptation, too. So does he uh, fall again, or does he try and use his powers for good, and is that possible? And is this a series or a standalone? It's a trilogy. Oh, uh, okay. not, with, with all those series I've mentioned, I got my I my fingers were a bit bigger than my uh, capacity <laughs> to finish. So I'm trying not to turn them all into endless series. I mean, there's a couple I could write forever, but most of them are series with beginnings, middles, and ends. Okay, and then do you have any plans then going forward for a new series that you plan to put out? Well, my goal right now is to just finish the ones I have and. Uh, from there, I'll see about what I can uh, what I can do. After I uh, finish Lucifer Star, I was thinking about maybe doing a, a prequel a trilogy to it, and uh, maybe doing the same for Wraith Knight. Oh, cool, cool. Hey, you know, I would also like to talk about the uh, Spiffbo, so self published fantasy book off. You are a, a judge this year, correct? Yes, I am. And who are you doing that with? Do you have a, a blog that you're affiliated with? Uh, in this case, it's booknest.eu, which is one of the big fantasy review sites on the net. They were very kind enough uh, to uh, give me a job there. And, uh, well, obviously, since they were doing their own part in the self-published fantasy blog-off, they, uh, I got to uh, join them in reviewing many uh, delightful little independent works and saying which one should go on the next round. Yeah, and, and so now we're down to, I know, the semifinals. 
And have you chosen your your books to go to the semifinals then already? Uh, I read my uh, copies uh, there and passed them on and uh, gave my vote. And I, I won't say which ones uh, went on, but we'll see uh, how it turns out for them. Uh, quite a few people that I thought were going to be able to uh, wrap this one up, like Ben Galley, just, well, they were eliminated early. And now it's just anybody's game as far as I can tell. Yeah, it's, I've, I've kind of, I don't know why, I just took a, an interest in it. And it's just been something that, that I've really enjoyed reading several of the novels. It's made me realize, especially, I think, uh, Dirk and now this year reading uh, The Woven Ring by M.D. Presley, that the upper end of, of these self-published authors are every bit as good as, you know, as most um, authors who have publishing contracts. I mean, I know that there's a lots that aren't that way, but the upper end of the crop is just as good at this point, I think, that, than, you know, the, the traditional big-name novelists. Well, you know, there's the uh, illusion, as I speak, uh, that the uh, mainstream uh, publishers are the gatekeepers of quality, so to speak. I mean, yes, there's a large amount of crap out there uh, that's uh, self-published, but I believe that also applies to the traditionally published. And the thing about traditional uh, publishing is... By and large, they're a lot more risk-averse uh, to releasing new and non-derivative stories uh, than you would find in uh, the independent markets. And the part of the reason that places like Crossroad Press are existing is because the system is massively skewed toward the uh, publishers rather than the authors themselves. And it's, it, we've, with, the, with the advent of the internet, uh, ebooks, and places like Amazon.com, it is possible for a self-published author to sell every bit as many uh, copies of a, of a book as they would have if it was put in stores. Yeah, especially if you're willing to to go out there and you know get your name out and and do the advertising yourself. I've talked to one who actually had a publishing contract and got out of it because of just not enough sales. Who said, I actually had that uh, had that happen to me too. If you want to hear about that, you know, I I would love to hear about that. Well, go ahead with your ear story. Oh, it just was that that they felt like they, even though they had the the contract, that they still never got any any of the advertising budget or any promotion outside of what they did themselves, that they still were expected to do just as much of their advertising. And whereas people like Stephen King or George R.R. R. Martin are getting massive oh, well, advertising it's, it's, budgets. Oh, yes. Well, the thing about that is there are uh, people who think that they're going to, if they go with traditional publishing, get an advertising budget. No, you know you're not. I'm, I mean, there's a hilarious thing if you read Stephen King's On Writing where he pointed out that he did actually do a lot of his own uh, advertising and convention work, building up his reputation well before they ever uh, started uh, making him who he is. And it was only after you become famous do you get, uh, get any help. Yeah, which seems to be a little bit counterintuitive in that case. So unless someone cares that says, "Oh, I'm only going to read tour books," or "I'm only going to read them if they if they have that penguin on them" or something like that, then oh, yeah. he doesn't. The have only it. advertising tradition publishers give you is the fact you that if you that you will be on the shelves that they pass by at the bookstores, which mostly don't exist anymore. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. we I don't. That's think... your advertising that you're on the shelf right next to some, and people are browsing. will pick it up. Yeah, and and I know that I have like here where I live in about I live about thirty miles from Boise, Idaho, and I think that thirty miles in Boise, Idaho is the closest new book, uh, Barnes and Noble or new book bookstore that would be available for us. Even oh yeah, well here's the thing about 
uh, about on my case there. Uh, Wraith Knight actually uh, was a book which was in stores for for a, short, for a period there, and it was and there's many copies that are still available, uh, probably in those stores, and uh, people picked them up and bought them. And uh, uh, in terms of uh, if you were one of those people who defined yourself as if you're in a bookstore, you're a real author, like I don't know my mother. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, uh, yeah, that would that would be a milestone. Except uh, the money I made from those books, uh, which uh, all those sales to those bookstores was practically non-existent. I mean, it was a drop in the bucket compared to the rules, of the Super Villainy Saga, or Crossroad Press, and so on, because they uh, they took every, uh, they nickeled and dimed me uh, well through the entire process, and the sales were decent. And e- even good, you might say there, but uh, the the profits that got back to me were. And that's just the way the system is designed because you are you're expected to write countless numbers of books and all the little pennies add up. Yeah, and it's just it is it's something that I think as I've gotten more into um, you know dealing with the minutia of these things really did surprise me in terms of of what like standard book contracts are and things like that, and especially once once you get into like talking about like advances and things like that. That if you don't have hit the specific sales numbers that they want and get above a certain number, then you really don't see a lot of that uh, money on the the book sale part. Well, that's a a general point. As Jim Bernheimer pointed out, uh, he's not he wasn't going to be making the big bucks uh, until someone optioned uh, his work for uh, a TV series, which the Confessions of a D-list supervillain book actually has been, and that was more money than mostly he made. with a regular sales, and even then, the real money he'd made uh, on sales had been through the audiobooks. So, yeah, it's we're now in a new uh, kind of paradigm. And really, uh, I, I do recommend, if, if you want to actually make a serious uh, living as a writer, that you probably should go with self-publishing or a, a generous, uh, trustworthy uh, independent publisher. And you shouldn't expect to make it for until you're a prophet that's able to live on until well after five or ten books unless you're the aragon kid you are you're kind of not going to be able to do this i'm sorry yeah i think what's your day job yeah and and you know what it's amazing how many even of the the authors who you know have a big five publishing deal still have day jobs even though they have that contract uh well uh, i knew uh what exactly i wanted to when i had uh struck it big with the rules of super villainy and uh, was on my third book and able to live off the profits that publishers asked me. So uh, would you like to be uh, have a traditional in-store uh, contract? And I read the contract and was like, so basically I'm just giving up all the money I'm making uh, so you can have it. <laughs> oh, sounds wonderful. Sounds like just oh, a yes. wonderful deal. Yeah, I, I, knew, I knew some other authors who did take that route, and they were like, eventually, why did I even do this? Yeah, yeah and, and you know, I really think that even on the the general fantasy reader side, that it's especially in the last few years, things have changed a lot to where now that electronic uh, media is so easily accessible that it doesn't matter in the same way that it, it used to. Oh, yes. And even my 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 perception, and I think that the perception of people around me who, because at this point I've spent about a year getting pretty immersed into the writing world on, you know, from an outsider's perspective of someone who reviews. And so I'm learning things, but I think that even my friends who most have self-identified as nerds like I do, don't care who a publisher is anymore. I don't think that I 
hardly ever look to find out who a publisher is unless I'm trying to find out how to get a hold of a book, copy of a book, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, it's, uh, again, a whole new world, and uh, e- and the Amazon algorithm is designed to maximize their sa- uh, sales, but their sales are your sales. And uh, they actually are providing, ironically enough, much of the advertising that, and I quote, surround advertising with quotes, and maybe finger quotes of uh, that, <laughs> that uh, people are buying the same way they do in stores, where, okay, I enjoyed this book by this guy, and then go down, and he's written X number of other books, and customers who bought that bought these, and so on. What is coming up for you in 2018, then, as 2017 winds down? Uh, well, uh, now that I've finished that, I'm going to uh, keep uh, working at a Lucifer Star, Where Deer, uh, Supervillainy Saga, and I hopefully will, when I have uh, the right story in mind, uh, continue my Cthulhu books. Very nice. So um, let's go ahead then, real quick, and and I'll add, I'll make the uh, sorry if I could speak here. All of your media, social media spots, I'll get put in the page notes. But mm-hmm. can I get you to just list everything all out in one place as well for anyone that might be interested? Well, I'm on Facebook and Twitter, and I have the United Federation of Charles blog and the CT Phipps website, and I also have the CT Phipps fan club on Facebook. Yeah, and I had to ask you, where did your the, the Willow Hugger name come from on on Twitter? Was that uh, Buffy or...? Well, it's a general thing there. Uh, I, I think I... I stupidly did not quite understand uh, that Twitter would actually be a thing. <laughs> so so it was, it was just for uh, my personal friends there. And after I – Charles, Charles Phipps, and Charles with a space – with a underscore between it uh, had all been taken. I didn't think, well, just put a number behind it. I uh, said, okay, fine. I'll just do my fandom of Buffy. <laughs> well, there you are. Yeah. I, wait till you hear my email. <laughs> oh no! Oh yeah, that's that one is that one's quite. Yeah, let's not share that publicly. No, it's <laughs> not. But uh, is <laughs> I know when when you first when you sent me that I was like, is this? Am I? Yeah. No. Oh, yep. That's right. You seem to have gotten I, my email. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Charles. And I know we had a little uh, a little trouble at first, but th- I really appreciate you coming on. Oh yes, it's great to be here. All right. Well. Thank you, and you have a great afternoon. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed the interview. So let's do our usual little book review afterwards. I have read the first book of three different series by C.T. Phipps, The Rules of Supervillainy. I will not talk anymore about because I will have a full book review coming out next week with my interviewer, Chris. The... Cthulhu Armageddon series really does read like a novelized version of a Fallout video game. I thought the books were good. They're not great, uh, and I didn't enjoy them quite as much as the other two series that I've read from him. They are... They don't take themselves too seriously. You get the Lovecraftian monsters that manage to take over the Earth. They won, and humanity is on the verge of being completely wiped out. The series is enjoyable. If you like the Fallout video games, if you like like military fantasy set in a basically an urban setting or a post-urban where some people still have technology and then there's a bunch of Cthulhu cultists running around basically with bats and things like that. Uh, plenty of magic and massive evil creatures. And then getting to a real quick 
the Teenage Weirdeer. I think we talked about this one pretty good in the podcast, but I really, really enjoyed the series. I was really pleasantly surprised. I think that the book cover doesn't quite do it justice. The book looks kind of like it's going to be a silly YA novel, and in the end, it actually is just... It's kind of like a mix of a bunch of different things. you got Supernatural TV show style. You have all of your uh, supernatural creatures. There's actually 13 different types of were creatures. We don't see them all in this one, but we will see a few. The werewolves are kind of like the leadership. The were deer actually occupy the shaman role. They, I think what I was thinking because of the cover was that basically you were going to have things that had no control and shifting and were going to be have to worry about getting hit by minivans once a month when they shifted into were-deer. But were-deer have all kinds of uh, abilities of their own. Maybe they're not werewolf style or they are not. They don't have the strength of the were-bears, but they have their own magical abilities. So that is something that, you know, I, it's just, I thought it was a really good entertaining story. You have a little bit of a crime drama thrown in there as well. So just an all-around entertaining story. I would recommend it to anyone who likes fantasy. Uh, the Cthulhu Armageddon, as I've said, I think has a little bit smaller of an audience possibility. But I think that uh, I Was a Teenage Were-Deer is the kind of book that people who don't necessarily love like a strict fantasy book would still enjoy a lot. I would recommend it to anyone who uh, who likes either, like maybe it's Supernatural TV show, uh, who likes werewolves or vampires or anything like that. And just a generally entertaining story. All right, well, I feel like we had a good long interview, so I'm going to try and keep this one all very short. I'm still kind of thinking about whether to continue even doing these book reviews at the end, because I think the uh, interviews are plenty long enough. So from now on, I will probably try and keep these about as short as this one is. All right, thank you all very much, and I hope you enjoyed the interview. And like I said, reach us anytime you'd like at any of the places I've mentioned before, and I will be happy to interact with you. Thank you so very much.